forever. Dog. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writers Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh yeah! Uh, I'm going to go around and ask you all to introduce yourselves on the microphones, please. So the listener knows what you sound like and tell the folks where they may have seen your name on their screens. I'm Garrett. I sound like this. A week ago, um, was it a week ago, two weeks ago, Russ and I had to do um, some some interviews for our finale of our show, Ordinary Joe, and I got laryngitis. So I did not sound like this. In fact, I did not sound like anything. And it was super fun to read the interviews after we did them. And it would just be like, Russell said, Russell said, Russell said, Russell said. I said so many smart things. Fortunately, I just said yeah. nothing but smart, quotable things. <laughs> and you, yeah, that was crazy. You did sound very sexy though, Garrett, when I know. were able to talk. Um, you guys are the creators of um, Ordinary Joe, which is uh, on now. Is the current season running? The current season finale just aired, okay, so great. go run off to Hulu and or Peacock and or something apparently called the NBC app that we just learned about. Um, go get it, folks. To, um, to binge and get caught up. So you also keep... have a, a long uh, list of credits. Do you want to tell some, folks some of your favorite ones? Some of the favorites. Well, definitely like any of the times where you're lucky enough to work with uh, Jason Kadams, which were like, we worked on it a few times, so like Roswell and Boston Public. And the show Rise, that was actually really fun yeah. and great to work on. Um, obviously, House was, you know, a great experience for us. We were there for like eight years and we're still close with everybody there. I mean, that feels like a real, like that writer's room, I feel like is a real family, kind of, and still is, really. And a lot of them are actually still working together on The Good Doctor for David, for David Shore. Um, I mean, Glee was a lot of fun. I am Rebecca Sunshine. I, you may recognize my name from The Vampire Diaries and The Boys, a few things in between there. And um, I just did a show for Netflix called Archive 81. Yeah, congrats. It's great. Thank you. Thanks. Hi, um, I'm Mike Zara. Uh, a little, a little, a couple less credits than everybody else, um, but I got my start on a show called Major Crimes on TNT. And was there for years. And then uh, in 2020, I had a horror comedy Christmas movie Hallmark parody uh, called Letters to Satan Claus that aired on uh, a sci-fi channel. And that's on the NBC app. That's why I know the NBC app exists. <laughs> there it is. You can watch it there. <laughs> yeah. And some things that, you know, were bought and never made and movies. Same. Absolutely. There's no. <laughs> there's a living to be made in selling, you know, pilots yes. and movies and stuff. And like, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm in that boat too. Um, <laughs> are you allowed to talk to, about what you worked on now? What you're working on now, or or most recently? Me? Yeah. Uh, uh, Probably not. Well, yeah, I I wrote <laughs> on a show for Nicole Kidman called Crime Farm, but okay. there's no, we don't know when that's happening. Okay, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I saw the show had been announced. Uh, yes. And you yes. are allowed to say that you worked on yeah, it. Yeah, I worked I worked on it with, um, my showrunner was uh, Janine sherman Barois, who was oh, incredible. Oh, she's great. And uh, yeah. yeah, I hope it all comes together because it was such a fun room and such a weird, creepy, delicious show. So Cool. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I can't wait. Um, let's talk about rooms. Um, let's talk about whether you're in a room right now or whether you've been in a room recently. Um, I'm going to go real general with this. Uh, and I just want to talk about like what works, what makes the rooms that were the most functional and, and the most enjoyable to you, which maybe are not the same thing. Um, what made those work? And Garrett and Russell, let's start with you guys on this again. And Again, like you, you worked on a number of shows. Some had traditional rooms, some did not. But, but, what were the first sort of great rooms that you worked on, and what did you take from that when it came time to run your own shows? Probably the first great room we were in, I would say, was Roswell. Um, and Jason Kadams, who's just one of the great human beings, and he um, designed his room this is irrelevant now in the days of zoom rooms but he designed his room as like a living room there was no conference table which was a first for us 
And it felt familial. It felt like a hangout. Um, it, 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 he also um, would have big lunches, lunch breaks, and we encouraged us all to go together. And he, it, it was very much about building a family and building trust and kind of putting us all on the same team. Um, and I felt like his shows kind of lent themselves to that versus when you're on a procedural, it's a much more independent study uh, mm -hmm. when you're, you know, for example, you know, a medical show or a law show or a cop show, what I mean by procedural, your episode isn't necessarily that much tied into the other episode. So it's very individual, but when the shows are more like chapters in a book, it's like the collective, you know, eight or 10 of us are all writing the book together. And mm -hmm. so um, we very much stole that from him <laughs> in constructing our rooms and just encouraging friendships and trust as, as much as we could. Is there a way, and, and I'll open this to all of you, but is there a way to foster that? Is there, I mean, it's one thing to say, I want to encourage friendship and trust but like getting a group of people who many don't know each other to actually embrace that uh, i imagine can be a challenge um i think on specifically on ordinary joe our most recent experience the, the thing that helped us greatly was it was an intensely personal project so from day one of the writer's room and we had already written the pilot we were just very vulnerable and open about sharing what uh from this pilot was about our lives mm -hmm. so we were we call it um, i don't think we coined the phrase but we were bleeding on the page and we invited all of our writers to bleed on the page and share their personal stories you know a lot of shows we worked on previously there's really no room maybe a scene here or a, or a character name there but this was like a show that was built on our own lives and so we wanted each of our writers to contribute pieces of themselves. And so by doing that, mm -hmm. taking the lead on day one and bleeding on the page, everyone and, and hiring writers that you got a sense in the meetings that were open to that and had, had kind of done that in their samples or in their mm -hmm. previous work. Um, so it, it came very naturally. It wasn't very Machiavellian. Yeah, no, that <laughs> makes a lot of sense. <laughs> um, Rebecca, what about you? Tell me, uh, please, about rooms that you've worked in and, and what has worked and what have you taken with you to apply to your own show? First room that I worked in was the Vampire Diaries, which was a big room because, well, it wasn't that big. I think it was eight or nine writers, but that was because we had 22 episodes of a heavily serialized show. So we needed a lot of bodies. Yeah. Um, and we were all going to produce. So we would always be down a few bodies. So it was a big room. I think the most, here's the most important thing is I think of all the rooms I've been in, I think having, you know, procedurally having a showrunner in there to make decisions is the way it works. That's how a room will work. Hmm. And if you don't, it won't work. <laughs> You'll be spinning your wheels and people will start to get frustrated. Um, but on a personal level, the most important thing in a writer's room is that you take a walk every day after lunch together <laughs> because you get out of the writer's yeah. room and you always pair up with a different person to chat with as you take like a 15 minute walk. And that's, I've done that on every show except for one. And it just, I don't know. There's something about just having a casual conversation or you can talk about the show. If you are trying to work on a problem with another writer, you can do that. Or you can talk about what you've been watching or yeah. how sucky lunch was. So I really do. I know it sounds silly, but I do think it's true. Um, in the Archive 81 room, we also we chose a show to watch together <laughs> That's you know, every week so that we would have something to sort of talk about, like what's working, what's not. I love and, that. What was the show? Um, at the time it was The Outsider. That was, mm -hmm. that was 
just coming on to HBO. And so it's a good, you know, we are a mythology show that same genre. And so mm -hmm. we would talk about it as a room, sort of as we're breaking story, how their story is unfolding. I think it helps um, like one step to the left. You're mm -hmm. talking about your show, but you're talking about another show. Yeah. It feels like it's also a great way to sort of like get the engine running in the morning. Yeah. Um, we call it sharpening the knives. Yeah. We would talk for, we would talk a little bit about the show or something else, like yeah. some topic and we call it sharpening our brain knives. So. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, there is so much like of that treading water first thing in the morning. Like it's hard to pull yourself into the creative space and that, that feels like a great way in. That's smart. Um, Mike, what about you? You've been in a few rooms now. Yeah. Um, what do you think well, works? Well, the familial thing uh, that Garrett said is it, great. Um, on on major crimes, so many of these people had worked together on the closer. I mean, so we're talking, you know, fourteen seasons, sort of. So this is it's a family, and um, and I started as an assistant and made my worked my way up. But uh, James Duff is the creator and and um, showrunner, and he, like Rebecca was saying, he was in the room uh for most of it and that worked and i think the sort of the bond that um this this group had for so long and just kind of figuring out how to like get in there without making too much of a you know too much noise um it was kind of a, a tricky dance but they were also welcoming but yeah i think i i think I'm a very, I wear my heart on my sleeve. And for me, like, even as an assistant, when I was a writer's assistant, I, I went to James and said, you know, if I have an idea, like if I have a, 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 a solution to a problem, is it okay if I speak up? And he was very encouraging. And, and I felt like that was my way in by just bringing all of me into it, being completely open and honest about me, my story, my life and uh, and just you know soaking it all up too from these writers who had been there forever. What's interesting, Garrett, you said about um, the procedural. Ours was sort of serialized, so we we did we weren't like a, a CSI where it's you know because I've heard of those writers that just like they're not even in a room. They go to their office. They're given like you know, you get the machete serial killer, you know, going to the grocery store every Tuesday or whatever, and then come back. But yeah, we, so we had an interesting, we had an interesting room and, and I just, this is just something that's, I think, funny to me is like, we kind of had an ongoing thing of like, all the different ways we've killed people. And so <laughs> it was like this huge wall of like murder <laughs> and then we're just like trying to top <laughs> what's what's the next thing but anyway um, <laughs> yeah that was that was the and then games we played we did like poker nights i still don't know how to play poker and um we play this game called library i don't know if you guys know it um but it's basically you read the first um line from a book but nobody has had nobody can know have had read it and you have to vote on which is the real first line of the book. <laughs> um, and so every, every, every writer would put their own line. And so it was like, it was very creative. And, yeah. um, and the fun fact about library, it was co-created by Daryl Hannah. So there you go. <laughs> what? I would have guessed that. <laughs> I want to talk about um, this thing that Garrett touched on, which is um, this idea of bleeding on the page, this idea of putting something personal um, into your work. And I want to talk about how, how to do that. <laughs> um, how can you get yourself to that space? What are the challenges of it? When have you been successful at it? Anything off of that topic that you want to talk about? And anyone who wants to jump in, please do. Uh, I'll quickly say, because on Ordinary Joe, the um, character of Joe's son was just was 
based on my son who suffers from a disease called, I shouldn't even say suffers from, he has a neuromuscular disorder called spinal muscular atrophy. He's in a power wheelchair. And it was something we decided to put into the show. Um, and so that in the timeline where Joe is a parent, I found it would be more interesting to write about him as a special needs parent, which is a unique experience that I have that a lot of writers don't have. So it got to be very specific and very, you know, it, it's hard to write. It's easy to write some of that stuff because you've lived it. So you're not like fishing for ideas. It's hard equally to write that stuff because it's very emotional and it's like going to therapy a little bit. It's like, do I share that? Don't I share that? And the answer is you do share that. And that's where the good stuff comes from. That's where like, you know, especially if, um, you know, our show was a very emotional show in the, in the, in the mold of Kadams, we were trying to do a show that was similar to something that he would do where you're tugging at heartstrings. And it felt like that's a hard thing to manufacture out of thin air, but like the moments of truth that really get people is when they, they're, it's just true truths. <laughs> it's, it's like, um, so I wrote, um, in the penultimate episode of this season, I wrote this whole, um, subplot where Joe is at his son's spinal fusion surgery, which was something I went through. And it was like, I was emotional wreck, like writing it and being on set, filming it, and then was so proud of it when, when it was done and it felt important. It felt more meaningful than like a lot of the, you know, you can show off your craft and put all the pieces together and have a thing that works and be proud of it. But to put something that's just yourself out there and bring that skill set to the table and, um, have it give people a window into you and into your life. It, it felt like important, more mm -hmm. important than a lot of the stuff we'd done. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and it feels to me like, you know, we've heard for a decade now about how executives want to hear the buyers want to hear. This is a personal story. Right. And that can come in many shapes. Um, but when it is something so close to you, when it is something so true, was that something that was talked about in the pitch for Ordinary Joe? Was it something that the buyers did latch on, latch on to? Russ, you have to remind me. I don't I actually don't even remember if we pitched it. Pitched that's the, the specifically that that his son had a SMA. I don't remember if that was part of the pitch or if that came came I, during I, the writing. I think it was because. I think it was because I remember pitching that and we pitched also the, the idea that his father died. His father was an NYPD right. cop who died in 9-11. We pitched that too. And all of it came out of sort of personal stories from the two of us. So, and we did pitch it in that context. And it felt like if my memory serves, I think we did. Like it just felt like it gives it sort of an added level of uh, emotion maybe, you know, or like, authenticity or something or that it's like it, if the story's important i i think it i felt like it helped me pitch it i felt Garrett, like just feeling like oh yeah i could just tell this story like here's my here's how i relate to the story and i feel like that helps you maybe you'll sound more passionate or hopefully make this story sound really interesting and important and then the the exec hearing it will hopefully feel like oh that's a really interesting story and you seem very passionate about it so i love and i think all that helps in a pitch for sure i, I do yeah. yeah i mean that that it that it's something important to you make can make all the difference right it's it's totally. a story you're compelled to tell um yeah. rebecca tell tell me please about um putting something putting yourself on the page putting something personal or emotionally true on the page i think it's an, a really interesting question because in in you know when you have your own show you can put lots of things that are very personal to you because it's your show and you make decisions about the stories we tell and that's one of the reasons we all want to have our own show um but the flip side of that is when you are writing for someone else 
and you are writing within the bounds of a show that exists. Um, I only have really written on mythology shows, which are very supernatural, <laughs> you know, so finding ways to put yourself into those scripts or into those moments is really about finding specificity in the characters and you bring a little piece of yourself into that character. So for example, um, when I was writing on the Vampire Diaries, we had a season where the sheriff was dying. Um, and, you know, that's not the main story. And I, but I would slip little, like I had a parent who had died. And so I would slip little pieces of my own conversations with my father into those little pieces of dialogue. So maybe you don't know exactly that is something really happened to somebody in a vampire show. But those little, I would slip those little things in that made it feel like very much mine or something even like less, less personal, but meaningful to a person. On the boys, Eric Kripke loves giving characters very specific stories. Um, it's kind of part of the, way that we ground a very big show. So all the characters have like very specific character moments they talk about. And for example, last season, I would, you know, I would, I gave Stormfront a monologue about Pippi Longstocking because that was a very important book to me in my life that sort of shaped me as a writer, but I don't hear a lot about it in like a big mythology show. So that's, that's not like it's a, pers a different kind of personal so it's like finding things about yourself to slip into, you know, a, a framework that's already exists. Um, and then you just feel this little bit of like a <laughs> little ownership over these moments or dialogue, or even a piece of set dressing that you write into a script that's meaningful to you. Those things make the characters seem very specific. And I think that's the fun <laughs> of writing on a show that you didn't create, but you can slip pieces of yourself in, you thread it in, and then you're living in that, those, all those shows, they have little pieces of you that are still living. That's yeah. great. Um, that's so true. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was go just ahead. thinking like, that's sort of what we, you know, what you're saying, Rebecca, is just like what, like on house, it just made me think of being on house, you know, we came on season two. So the show was already, you know, on the air and it was a hit and, you know, David Shore created it, but like, it's just, it was, you know, really intimidating coming on, but that's, but like also just finding those personal stories. Cause I think ultimately that's what David Shore who ran the show and created the show, you know, really ultimately would respond to completely. What's the emotion? What are our characters points of view? What are they feeling? Why are they feeling that? And then like, obviously you need a really hopefully cool, interesting medical mystery, but for David, I think that's why the show was so great. It's like, that wasn't, um, that's not what, that's not what was important to him, really. I mean, obviously, he wanted to be interesting in a mystery and have cool house moments where he's figuring stuff out. But I think what was really more interesting to him was, you know, the, how the characters are reacting to stuff. What is the emotion in it? What's the emotion in the patient story? What's the emotion? How's that affecting art people? So stuff like that. So that's where you could sneak, that's where you, same thing, like Gavin and I would, and all the writers that we would put in, you could you could sort of put mass personal stories in the patient stories, you know, and make it, you know, so you know, I think that's really a great thing as a writer you should look to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Mike, did you, you know what? I was gonna ask about major crimes, but I wanna ask about <laughs> Letter to Satan Claus. <laughs> sure, This please. movie, um, how could this only have come from you? It was my crazy brain. I I have a low-key fascination with Hallmark Christmas movies and would like watch them at night. And it's, you know, no offense, but it's kind of the same story, just a different sweater and hair color of the, the woman. Um, and I just had this thought, like there needs to be, a parody of these movies and it should be horror because that's one of my pockets and I love horror and um, grew up with, you know, all the eighties, nineties slashers um, and Freddy Krueger. 
Um, and yeah, so I, I had a general with um, an executive at Sci-Fi and we had very similar tastes. And I just, I wrote him one day and I was like, I have this idea. <laughs> and, and then we just started talking about it and um, he, he got a greenlit. Like it just was one of those like things where I think it was like an eight page document once I like officially put it in um, to the to the system of of universal pictures, I guess. Um, but yeah, so uh, it's one of those things where yes, it's a sci-fi movie. Yes, it was you know not made for very much and shot all in Canada, and I basically flew myself there. Um, and uh, but it it's fun to see your world created, even if you don't have the final say in it. And it's so different from TV where, you know, even when I was a staff writer for my first year at Major Crimes, like I was producing my episodes. I was in all the, you know, the meetings for costume and prep and tone. And and for every second of filming, I was on set. And so to be not um, for this movie that all came from my brain was, it was hard to swallow, but it was also, you know, um, it was really exciting that it happened. And yeah, but but I mean, just talking what everybody else has talked about, I mean, I've put stuff in there that's me, even though you wouldn't know. I mean, one of the things that I was very adamant about was trying to get a, like, yes, laugh at all the tropes, but also put in some, you know, political stuff in there. Like there's the gay best friend uh, and I'm gay and, you know, that's my thing. But I just was like, I want to see the gay best friend get a guy and not just be helping the the lead girl get her man. Um, and then at the end the of the movie and the, the Hallmark heroine type has, go, has like six different love interests. And at the end, um, the person she picks is this uh, trans actor who was fantastic. And that was just a casting choice that the director made. But yeah, so really kind of just putting, trying to make it non-Hallmark by also making fun of Hallmark was kind of my goal. Mm-hmm. So That's yeah. great. Nice. Yeah. Um, Rebecca, I wanted to follow up on um, something you were saying, which is that you did sort of come up in other people's shows and when you are the creator of a show, when you are the showrunner of a show, you then get to make those decisions. Um, am I right that uh, Archive 81 is your first uh, created by show? Um, so did you feel like coming into this, like the floodgates were open? <laughs> like you finally get to tell some stories that you've been wanting to tell? This this project was very much in my wheelhouse. I mean, it's very supernatural, I wouldn't say there's there's things that are very personal in it, but it's obviously still a big <laughs> mythology show. Um, so I did get to I I went I was a film student and I this show has a lot to do with mm-hmm. media and film formats and I was a film student in the '90s and I <laughs> carried a camera everywhere I went. So I had like an archive of tapes of my own. So those kind of things were. A little bit about sort of going back to my past. Hmm. So yeah, I guess in that sense, I got to do something that I'd always wanted to to do, and then incorporate a lot of things. Like I will say, like <laughs> just saying the other day, there was this. There's a there's a little bit of dialogue in one of the episodes that I had written into a boys script. And it got taken out. And I was like, that's fine. It's all good. But now it's mine going into this show. (laughs) I used a few things that I've, I recycled some things that other people didn't necessarily want to use my brilliance. (laughs) And and I put them in, into this show. That's great. I love it. (laughs) That never happened. No one ever remembers to do that. (laughs) I know. I keep a a pile of things. And I'm like, oh, remember when they cut that really awesome line? That's me thinking it's awesome. I'm just gonna slide it right into the show. That's pretty. That's pretty fantastic. You literally keep a pile of printed out, or you joke like, how do you do in it? In my mind, it's, it's a mind. In pile. your mind, there's yeah. a pile. I, I wow. never forget any. Right. 
transgression really? against me. <laughs> so like if you took out a scene that I thought was really good, right. then it's going to show up again in, <laughs> it will in my show. Yeah, it's just awesome. it's rattling around in there. That's impressive. I had, yeah. I, I had I'm creating similar... a show called Deleted Scenes. <laughs> <laughs> There's no real Into narrative that. through line. It's just. But every video. scene is yeah. so strong. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had a similar question uh, for you guys, Russell and Garrett, about like going from eight seasons on House to Glee. Like it must have been the same sort of floodgates opening where like you're flexing different muscles you know you're you're having you're getting opportunities to write different kinds of scenes yeah. was there an adjustment period or was it like finally i'll say um by the end of house um i hope i don't get in trouble saying this but like by season eight everybody was a little bit creatively i'm sure spent on medical mysteries i mean we did 177 episodes of that show and so it's like you just wanted to you wanted to exercise some different muscles right it was like exciting to you know we had done high school prior with um roswell and smallville mm -hmm. and to like just get back to just you know you know it was allowed to be a little bit more uh, campy and fun and loose and, and, you know, house the material was always like super intellectual and elevated and, and, you know, very rigorously anti-sentimental. Um, so, you know, it was fun to be able to flex some different muscles. It didn't really take an adjustment period. I don't mm -hmm. think it was just like, Oh, this is fun. <laughs> oh, sloppy, sloppy feelings again. Lighter material. Yeah. <laughs> like people can smile here. <laughs> right. Yeah. But there is something, at least for me, like on both those shows, because they were like, but like going from <clears throat> into the glee room, it was like, you know, intimidating. Even though, you know, we're coming off another hit show, it's still like, what's well, Ryan Murphy, Brad, and Ian? I mean, these guys. The show's a monster, you know, it's a huge hit. It's, 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 it's whole, you know, it's, it really did, I think really change the culture, you know, it was really, I mean, I'm not saying anything, you know, original here, but it was a phenomenon, right? I mean, the show's huge and it's like, everyone knows Glee. And, um, in, and we never thought at least, I never thought I'd, I'd be writing on a musical. So I had no idea how to do, how do you, how do you do that? What does that look like on the page? You know, I didn't know. So, you know, we looked, we, um, got a bunch of scripts and, and saw, but I was still like, it's, you know, it's intimidating. And that's a great, that was a great writer's room. There's everybody in that room was, you know, it was Michael Hitchcock and Roberto Sacasa. Um, obviously Ian, Brad, Ryan, who else is in that room? Matt, Ross, Ross Maxwell, this other young writer. He's great writers. I mean, everyone it's like to a person. Um, Jessica Myers in that room, like was great writers. And it was like, you know, um, but they were very and great in the room as well. Like really. Yeah. That was the set. That was for us to come on to house season two and to come into Glee also mid hit. It was uh, nerve wracking to be the new person. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. People. Uh, but in each case, the rooms were very welcoming to us because there is a little bit of like, who's, oh, yeah. who's this new person? Um, especially, I think like a room usually fosters uh, an assistant who's getting a break and like, oh, we're all going to help this person. But like somebody new comes in from the outside who's already established. It's like there's a lot of looks askance and like, what are you doing here? And uh, Or at least perceived. It was imagined that it would be that, but yeah, it really, yeah. it really wasn't. Right. It really <laughs> wasn't, right. it wasn't either case. At all. Uh, that's good to hear. Uh, what did... What did those scripts look like? What does a musical show look like on the page? Yes, the lyrics are in the script. Are they? Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. A, a big question we had. Yeah, that was a big question because you wanted to sort of, I mean, those scripts had to be very, um, very tight. I think they were like 44 or 45 pages. Right? Yeah. 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 Like on House, we were writing like 60 and then yeah. we went to Glee and it had to be like 44. And we were like, how do you 
tell a story. <laughs> and like, you know, 15 of those pages are songs. Right. We had three songs, three numbers? Five, usually. Five. So there's an, a, a number in every act and they'd be, you know, Ryan would come up with these many times, come up with these, you know, incredible numbers. And then you'd have to do your best to write that out on the page with the lyrics and with the characters in that, you know, um, in that particular number. And it was interesting. It was, it was fun. I mean, it was like an interesting, a completely different kind of uh, writing than house or other shows we'd been on up to that point, you know, it was really, it's cool. And especially when they were sort of like fantasy numbers, you know, you Mm -hmm. could do kinds of crazy shit. So it was cool. I want to ask everyone, let's let's take it back a little bit and talk about, I remember years ago on this podcast, um, a writer talked about having a magic script that started to open doors. And it could be someone's first script, it could be someone's 50th script, uh, but it's the one that people responded to in a way that was different to the ones that came before. Um, did Did you each have that? Uh, was there something that you wrote that made people take notice of you and want to have you in this business, want to work with you in this business? Uh, Mike, let's start with you on this. Sure. Um, yeah, the the script that I, um, and I still use as a sample because, you know, it hasn't been that long that I've been a, a professional writer, um, but it's called Kill the Lights and it's basically the behind the scenes of this teen drama series where and it's very inside baseball which is probably why it's never been made <laughs> but it's um there's this new showrunner that gets hired and then starts putting all of the actors real life secrets into the show and so they have to act them out and they start to like lose their minds and you don't know if it is supernatural if it's some psychic and they it they kind of just have to team together to figure it out but that is it's my love letter to growing up watching 90210 Melrose Place these soapy sexy things with horror combined and I kind of tell my people my people people <laughs> my people um, I tell people that my tone is I call it bloody bubblegum and that's <laughs> that's great basically what kill the lights is and so yeah that's kind of what you know gets me in the door I had written it after um major crimes and 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 it it was somebody bought it and just never made it but Mm -hmm. um yeah so that that was my question like so you had already been staffed on major crimes mm -hmm. um after being an assistant on it Mm -hmm. and And writing a a writing of freelance which Mm -hmm. was my test sure that was absolutely my test and I I passed (laughs) so. <laughs> and there used to be room for that for those. Yes, um, when shows were on for longer than you know two minutes. Were you represented um, off of Major Crimes? Were you represented when you wrote this spec? I was, but I was not at at first at Major Crimes. I I when I wrote my freelance, I was not. And actually, mm-hmm. this is something for for people that are writers or trying to break in. You know, I did the thing where I went on IMDb Pro, found agents and said, hey, I'm this young writer that just got my first freelance on a hit show. No response. So, you know, like I I, I kind of had to work my way and find mm-hmm. representation. But yeah, but I, ha- I did have representation once um, I was staffed on Major Crimes officially. Mm-hmm. And I think I got, I think in my second season, I got um uh reps and then yeah kill the lights uh was written during that time and, and they helped set it up and that yeah and it's I amazing that... how like when you elbow your way into making money you suddenly wreck it up. <laughs> like oh wait, right we're right. happy to take 10 percent of that <laughs> i know i know it's crazy did my the other part of that question was like did your reps who now knew you from working on this <laughs> major crime show did they know what to do with Kill the Lights? Well, it actually went to one place and it sold there. Oh, wow. um, so 
yes. But at the same time, <laughs> to answer your question, it's a very tricky thing to be this bloody bubblegum guy with a crime background. It is, it, it is, I think, hard for people to go, where do where does he fit? And and so I am trying to expand, you know, go beyond the bloody bubblegum and 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 show as many different sides of me it's funny because I I love musicals and I write music and all of that so like I'm trying to show that side of myself but um yeah it's hard when you don't have very many credits and the things that people know are like a just stock cop show yeah and then this weird Christmas movie with Satan (laughs) But I would imagine, and and Rebecca and Garrett and Russell, I'll ask this of all of you, like when you're staffing a room, you're going to be thrilled to read something like Kill the Lights, which presumably had a very has a very strong voice um, yeah. and a point of view. Totally. Were you, totally. I, I mean, were you reading all kinds of stuff when, when you were staffing your shows? Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Genre was irrelevant to us. Um it's it's about looking for a unique voice that makes me want to turn the page. I mean, the thing that I didn't realize until we started being the ones on the other side of the staffing table is the sheer volume. I mean, I think on our first pilot, I think we had 458 submissions and the number stuck in my brain because it was so preposterous to think I would do the math. Cause I'm also a math guy of like how many man hours would it take me to actually give all 458 of these writers their due. And it was like, well, that time doesn't exist between now and when the show would get picked up. So how do I go about this? And then it would just be a matter of like, here's, you got, you got me for five pages everybody's got me for five pages level playing field. And then, and then it's on you, the writer to get me past page five. And I don't care if it's, you know, horror or straight drama or black comedy or romance. Like it doesn't matter. It's, it's just like, um, compelling voice. Yeah. I don't want to pick that up in a second, but Rebecca, um, similarly, when you're staffing, um, archive 81, was there was there stuff you were looking for? Were there specific kinds of writers you were looking for? Or were you reading, you know, if it's good, it's good? Well, I was, I had a very small room mm-hmm. and I hired people mostly that I knew. So I wasn't really reading a lot. And it was also during the point where no one had an agent. So it was kind of like, hey, oh, do you know God. any writers? <laughs> you know, do you know, yeah. like I would, my manager helped me find writers and the producers, but I didn't, I couldn't call agencies. So I was looking for something very specific because I I do think personally that writing on a mythology show, you need to know how to write on a mythology mm-hmm. show. Like it's very complicated. It's very different from other kinds. You can learn, but I, be, with, an eight episode season, you just, you've got to hit the ground running. I, I was pretty open to what mythology it could be. I will say that the studio was not into that and they wanted something, (laughs) a tone that totally matched the show. They wouldn't entertain like, wow. And so, you know, I, I think I have an open mind in terms of like, it can be a little comedic. It can be a little broad but if you're in the world of mythology and it's specific and it's character driven, it's not, I'm not looking for a tone. I'm looking for writing, but the studio was, I mean, they just nixed. (laughs) They're like, no, that doesn't seem like your show. Wow. Well, wow. So that, that was a bummer, but I still found great. Yeah. That's great. Um, So, well, I think that's a really interesting thing that, I, I don't know the answer to it. So I, I would ask uh, you all who have staffed rooms, like as writers, we can see the applicable skills, right? Um, but there are a lot of other people recommending and reading and saying yes or no to who you hire. So like, how free are you when you put together a room? How much is it your say? And how much is it, you know, there are so many masters to please. Yeah, it's, yeah, no, you're right. It's a, it's a give and take. I'm not sure like if there, cause it's, there's definitely, you know, we'll get submitted 
say on this show, you know, on Ordinary Joe, we were submitted people through the agencies, through our through our production company, through the studio network. So, so one, if, if we're getting them from the studio network, then we have to assume, oh, they're approved mm -hmm. by those entities. If we get it like from the producers, we would ask, okay, well, who's this coming from? Are they approved? What, what, just tell us what we need to know about like their, you know, stuff like that, I think would be helpful. But like, yeah, so there could be, there could be pushback, like you're saying, like, or like Rebecca was saying, like, I think all the time, you know, I mean, and it happened to us being on the other side of it. We would, you know, years ago, um, you know, had the same thing happen where it'd be like, oh, this executive doesn't, you know, <laughs> after the showrunner <laughs> calls you and says, oh, you, this is so great. We're so excited. You start in a week. This is great. What kind of coffee do you like? You know, it's like you do the whole thing. And then it's like final draft, screenwriter, whatever. What do you got? And then, and then a few days later, you get a call from your agent or someone and they say, actually, hmm, the deal is not going to make so-and-so doesn't want you. They don't think you're right for it. And then you, you know, you're screwed. Um, you, you know, you're not going to, unless, I guess, unless you're at a certain level or a certain, obviously, you know, yeah. or, but, or if it's your show, even then it's hard because you need leverage. It's just really hard. It's hard. Like if they don't want to do something, that's what I think. I'm sorry, I'm sort of rambling, but I think as a showrunner, you probably have to find out like, is it a, is it like a maybe, or is it like a fuck? No, we hate that person or some or something like, or like that person ran over my dog, like whatever it is. Like right. You need to know like, where does it sort of land? Like, cause you have to decide like, is it a, is it a, is it a battle you want to fight? How big a battle will it be? Um, and just you just need to know what the I, at least I like to know just what is the is there any possibility is it like less than a zero percent stuff and oftentimes you get and it's like no there really isn't so it's just not you know if if it's so anyway that's bananas that come yeah. on yeah it's hard I mean it's 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 a it's a challenge yeah it's it's definitely a challenge it's definitely like I mean we were really lucky we found so many great writers on mm -hmm. our show and. Um, but, uh, yeah, we had a, I mean, we did have an easier time on, like, I think Russ and I philosophically like to collaborate with our studio and our network and listen a lot to them with the large exception sure. being how to staff our writer's room. <laughs> um, that's the thing that you're hiring us for. So like if, if they had said, maybe Rebecca, hopefully you could use this next time. If they say, I don't think this person's the voice of your show, you say, well, that's what I'm here for. That's. Yeah. It's um, a great because I think. <laughs> I don't, like, I don't remember really pushback on any of the writers we tried to hire in Ordinary Joe, but if, it, if, if they had said something like that and I had said that, yeah. it would have been the end of the conversation and I wouldn't have even realized it was a fight. It would just, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think it, I think it, in some ways it was, I had brought in people that I knew and then I was looking for another writer and I feel like they wanted, they wanted to exert some power. And nice. right. I, I, I did make a case. I said, it's such a strange thing for people to exert power over. Like if I know anything, <laughs> right. anything at all, right. I know right. if somebody can write the show or not, you know, right. Um, there are many other things that maybe they do know better. It's a strange flex, but yeah. you know, because it was my first show and I had gotten all the other writers mm. that I wanted and I don't know it, I, I wouldn't ever let anyone do it again. <laughs> that was the one, the one time yeah. everybody yeah. ever, never again. But, but I do think, you know, your situation is probably closer to the norm Rebecca that like especially when it's your first show especially when you have such a small room um like you do have to choose your battles and there are these weird these weird flexes is a great way to put it um I want to go back to that uh, earlier question about the magic script um and Garrett and Russell um did you have that I feel like you know you guys came up similar to when I did which is like we're writing specs of existing shows in addition to original <laughs> yeah. stuff. Uh, well, did you write both? And was there something that sort of got people's attention? <clears throat> it's, 
embarrassing to say because there are a lot of writers who sweated out and their 25th script was the magic one that popped and our first one was like we were very very lucky but there's something to uh, that right there's it's it's often the most purely you script that you write well our for good and bad yeah our story is a we cheated <laughs> we definitely cheated our story is a very um unique and inadvisable <laughs> path that I, no one should take but um i was working as a script reader at miramax at the time that uh pulp, Fil pulp fiction was winning con film festival and quentin tarantino uh, on the success of that had said he wanted to do his next movie would be an elmore leonard novel and it was vague he just wanted, it's his favorite author, and he wanted to do an Elmore Leonard novel, which ended up being Jackie Brown. But um, at the time, it was just like Miramax scooped up like a half dozen Elmore Leonard novels for him. Just whatever's available, they got it so that he could do his Elmore Leonard novel. So my job as a reader for the executive was to like read these books and make, you know, five page summaries so he could sound smart about it. <laughs> um, and being a brash film student, I went into his office and I said, out of all the novels, he's got to do Freaky Deaky's the best. He has to do Freaky Deaky. Like it has to be Freaky Deaky. And he's like, yeah, okay, kid. And I, and I was like, if Quinn doesn't do Freaky Deaky, I'm, I'm writing it. Like I'm, I'm like an <laughs> idiot, 20 year old film student. And he's like, yeah, okay. Okay. You know, he's just trying to get rid of me. And I was like, if I write this script, can you promise me you'll read 10 pages? He's like, I'll read 10 pages if you get the fuck out of my office. <laughs> and so somehow I was able to convince Russ to take this like ridiculous journey with me to adapt a novel that we not only did not have the rights to, but could at any moment be adapted by Quentin Tarantino right. on the heels of, of <laughs> Pulp Fiction. So we, so we just wrote it quickly as we could. <laughs> and um, Quentin chose this other book, Rum Punch, which became retitled into Jackie Brown. But so we knew he wasn't doing it and, uh, and we got it done. And I brought, I put it down on, my boss's desk and he was like you did not and i was like yes i did and you promised 10 pages i remember and he was like fine 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 and he, he took it home and then the next day he came in with a smile on his face he's like i read the whole thing it's really good it's really good oh my God. and i was like i told you and then um uh but we cheated because it was really good because the novel was so sure. good and and i had developed this philosophy in film school in the 90s i was like novelists are completely ignored in our business like like well in the way that like as writers like like I, one of the screenwriters i wanted to emulate was steve zalian who's just a beautiful incredible writer but almost every movie he does is an adaptation of a brilliant novel you don't know the name of any of the novelists of those. It's just Steve Zalian being nominated for Oscar year after year after year after year. And so I kind of thought, wow, the adaptation game is like kind of a smart <laughs> way to get in. Like, because ultimately Elmore Leonard's the genius. I didn't feel like, you know, I was patting ourselves on the back when I would say brashly to my boss, yes, this is great. Cause I told you the novel was great hmm. and Elmore Leonard is great. All we did was like shrink it into and, and put a bow on it. And, <laughs> it's like, not accurate. That's how I felt. I mean, it, it felt like to me, adaptation was like a, a, a logical puzzle. It was like a logical sure. exercise. But also but we, clearly your, your brain works that way too. Like, yes not every writer could have turned in the version of Freaky Deaky that you guys turned in. Yes, that, that's definitely true. And it ultimately, decade or so later, became a movie. We, we were never able to oh. sell it, but it did get us representation and it got us a lawyer, it got us a million meetings, it got us our first screenwriting job and then got us our first television job. And it was, oh, 
it was the it was the one that popped there, there and then yes we wrote sopranos and we wrote x files <laughs> right. and we wrote <laughs> all the things you were supposed to write um there is valuable stuff to take from that story i think that it 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 may not be replicable, but it is. There is stuff there for folks to take from. Um, Rebecca, did you have that uh, experience of a magic script? Did you have a script that turned things around for you or turned things on for you? I did. I mean, I I've been at this for quite some time. I started in features, so I I I won a nickel fellowship with the script, but that actually wasn't my magic script. My magic script was something I wrote later. I, I wrote many things, dozens <laughs> of features and a few TV, a few TV pilots, but v actually very few, uh, maybe two. <laughs> um, but I wrote a feature called The Keeping Hours and that kind of turned everything around for me. I got new representation. I got it set up, it fell apart. But after that is when I got, I got all my TV work off of a feature spec and never, I, I think they read some of my other things, but mostly I use that spec forever. It's it's a very emotional, it's like a ghost story, a very emotional ghost story. And it really did open, that was my magic script that people still remember. And it did eventually get made. So it wasn't, um, it did after many years, <laughs> <laughs> finally get made. And I think I've stopped using it as a magic <laughs> script now but i it did have a really good run as a magic script sure that was sort of in my genre mm -hmm. but very unique it's a very unique kind of me script and that and now it's a movie well that, and that's yeah that that kind of gets to my question about like what, what after writing a bunch of scripts what was it about this one why why did you have to write this one what was it about you that had changed what was it about your writing that had changed or was it just the right idea at the right time I think it was mostly the right idea at the right time really? although it did very much you know your first scripts are they can be great but they're probably flawed um and as you write and write and write and write and write and write and write, you get better. And so I think that this script in particular, it was just very unique idea. It's a genre piece, but it's it's also very emotional. And it just, it hit all the spots that I'm good at writing. So, so it just, I don't know, it was just kind of um, one of those things. You can't always engineer them. Yeah. It was based on somebody, they had an idea and brought it to me, a producer, and and I just sort of ran with it, and we went on a long journey together, of many <laughs> years, and I used it as a sample for a long time before it got made. Yeah, um, that's that's great. Um, it's it's good to hear all of these stories, honestly. And it sounds like, you know, for all of you, it was whether it came from a book or whether it's like the version of nine hundred two one zero with <laughs> murders that you want to see, like. They're all the movies that you wanted to see. There was all something that you responded to personally uh, in this material, which, you know, we talked about earlier, too. Um, we do need to start to wrap up, which we will do by asking you what you are watching on television these days. What is getting you excited or inspired? What are you talking about with uh, your rooms, your friends, your households, each other, whatever it is? Um, and Mike, let's let's hear from you first. Sure, um, I can actually answer this. Uh, I devoured Yellow Jackets. I just think it's exciting. It's so me. It's one of those shows where you watch it and you're like, "How do I get in this room?" And yeah. didn't get it in that room. I, <laughs> I, I know my agents pushed and tried for season two. It did not happen. But yeah, um, you you and everyone else. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. It's <laughs> like, like, really? You want to be on Yellow Jacket? But it was exciting. But no, it was exciting. And I just, whenever you see fresh talent, I think the kids, the girls that are, you know, playing the younger versions, it, there's just so much excitement mm -hmm. and um and, and again, they blend comedy and drama and uh, horror in, in such a great way. And I hope all the mysteries pay off. Um, I hope they have a good mythology person in there, Rebecca. But 
I, I just think it's exciting. And that I feel like TV has become the movies for us. And I think people crave more than just one thing. And this hybrid thing that, that Yellow Jack is doing is very much what I do. And so mm-hmm. that's what I love. But honestly, because of the pandemic and it's been a tough pandemic for this one and I know for everybody, but I really had a hard time watching narrative stuff. I just like, it had to be really light or reality. And that's why I'm watching so much RuPaul's Drag Race, (laughs) so much. I'm watching, I just started, it just started um, RuPaul's Drag Race UK versus the world and it's fantastic. So (laughs) highly recommend it. Drag Race is a popular answer, uh, as is The Bachelor, as is uh, 90 Day Fiance. It's just, it's just candy. Yeah, absolutely. Just eat it and there's no calories. (laughs) Uh, Russell, what are you watching these days? Well, I do agree RuPaul's Drag Race (laughs) <laughs> we watch it my two daughters are obsessed my older daughter is a little more obsessed um to watch that although and yeah same thing you know it's interesting it was the same thing during the pandemic we've been watching i mean so now i guess like the real show i'm i'm, I'm catching up on the succession season the latest season season three whatever it is season four whatever the latest three. season is three. so we're finally watching that we're on like episode three or whatever and it's great but the show that we're literally watch every day is 90 Day Fiance. Every day. <laughs> Some iteration of 90 Day Fiance. And it's just, unbelie- it's, un- it's, you cannot, I do not recommend watching it. No one should watch it. <laughs> but if you start watching it, you'll never stop watching it. It's like, you cannot believe it. And there's so many iterations of it. And each of our, like, in the, like, we're constantly like, this can't be real. I mean, I hope some of it is completely scripted i pray but like <laughs> i don't know um, anyway i don't know <laughs> that is perfect thank oh you so uh rebecca what are you watching um well i will also plug yellow jackets which um yeah. was made by my really genius friends ashley and bart mm. and i have every faith in their amazing <laughs> mythology and kind nice. of come out of the same camp so i have also just finished uh station 11 which is a really beautiful piece yeah um an interesting sort of non-linear storytelling technique which is very interesting to me i'm not really a reality show person so i tend to love really heavy shows even in a pandemic some people run away from them i run towards them like (laughs) pandemic story yes please uh, I watched like Contagion right away. I watched everything with a, <laughs> a, a plague in it. Oh God. I just, I'm that person. That's who I am. So <laughs> yeah. Did you, did you find in, I, I know that like station 11, they were a little worried about launching it because of the pandemic and stuff, but like, I thought that first episode was absolutely stunning. And it's the Amazing. one that takes place, you know, as the pandemic is beginning. And like, I I still can't stop thinking about it months later. Yeah, it's really a wonderful show. It's just amazing and and extremely artful and yeah. thought provoking, and I I think it's very uplifting too. So I I would recommend Absolutely. it if you think oh pandemic's not for me. I I would try it anyway. Yeah, I think I think that's a good recommendation. <laughs> uh, Garrett, finish us up. What are you watching these days? Uh, make it good. Garrett, <laughs> uh, I don't know if I can be entertaining yeah. some of you. I am uh, hopelessly already addicted to Pam and Tommy and I, I'm like I can't wait oh. till tomorrow like I haven't had a show in a long time where I'm like damn it I have to wait till Tuesday yeah. and it's not there yet and I'm like uh, I think it's just the combination of is it trash or it's is great it like no it's great it's great it's Come actually um, a combination of like nostalgia for me black comedy and then just like examining kind of this, you know, loosely use the word historical event, but (laughs) kind of like a historical event, but informing us about it in a way, in a much deeper way than any of us have ever thought about it. Mm -hmm. And, and like, oh, there's actually like all kinds of interesting issues that go on. And it's like, you know, there's a reason they were able to get that 
incredible cast to, to do this otherwise sure. pulpy material. It, but it's it's really smart and really well done and sure. funny and fun. Nice. Um, and also just going back to the cadence of it all, his new show on Amazon, as mm-hmm. we see it, is just a high recommend for talking about bleeding on yeah. the page. I mean, <laughs> yeah. like it's it's special, special show. Oh, that's yeah. great. Yeah, I keep I keep hearing good things uh, about it. I'm, I'm excited to watch. Uh, thank you all so much for being here. Thanks for sharing with us. Uh, come back anytime. You're all a delight. <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks, thank you. Good to meet you guys. Yeah, good to meet everyone. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Dog. Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.